All right, can you hear everyone now? I can hear Zach typing. All right, cool. That's good. Mm. I have loud 2016 MacBook Pro keyboard. So, otherwise, people won't know if you're actually working. So, I think that's a exactly. That's a There's no other way to measure developer productivity in an office. Exactly. And clacky keyboards. Okay. It's like either you count the lines of code that people write, or you just listen to the loudness of the keyboard. Hundred percent. I think th- those are the best ways. Hundred percent. So I'm looking at the Mac Rumors buyer guide. They tend to do uh, a preview page thing for like new hardware, software, whatever before it comes out. And I haven't really been keeping up with the iPhone 11 or whatever the new iPhone is going to be called this year. Rumors because. I don't really care, but anyway, okay. So I'm looking at the camera, like the the photos or the mock-ups or whatever they've done, and I'm looking at the back <laughs> of these phones. They've all got hideous cameras on them. They're so ugly, um, and I'm, I'm just not feeling great because I'm in a position <laughs> where I need to buy a new phone this year because my phone is old, but I don't want any of these. Like They're too big for starters. It looks like, according to this page, so this, this page is everything that I know about the new phone. I haven't read anything else, to be honest. So <laughs> it looks like the sizes are staying the same, which is unfortunate because it means the smaller one, the smallest one, the only appropriately sized one, or it's not even appropriately sized. It's the most appropriately sized. It's still 5.8 inches, at least the screen is, which is too big. And it has three ugly cameras on the back. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure these cameras are going to be very good. I, I don't doubt that the photography on this thing is going to be a top-notch smartphone photography quality whatever but it just looks ugly and you know i used to i used to look at new phones and i i haven't owned that many iphones in my life but every time there was a new phone i'd be excited and i'd be excited for the people buying them and i'd be slightly jealous it's like ah you know dad's getting a new phone or a friend's getting a new phone and that would always excite me and i'd i'd want to play with them and be excited but the last couple of years when i haven't upgraded i haven't felt like that and i think this is the third year in a row where i'm just not excited by these apple products by these phones like 20 seconds yeah. eh? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to send me Zach this? rants again <laughs> two weeks in a row Zach, can you send me a link to this because i've seen several is this the one with the with the vertically like the vertically aligned cameras or is it the like big bump like a th- square thing so the vertically it's the big bump the vertically aligned cameras are well they've all got vertically aligned cameras but on the 6.1 inch there's only a couple of lenses and they are vertically aligned on Mm. the 5.8 and the 6.5 at least according to i mean this could be wrong but it looks like this is trusted leaks like it looks like there's been a few photos and renderings and videos and whatever of this phone um it looks ugly i don't know i don't know it looks like it's this uh, like i don't i don't really i think this entire hardware generation is not doesn't seem to align with what we want from iphones and no, i didn't really expect that to change right now now the, there's a third camera okay um yeah it, like, it th- but cool i mean they, they put they put a third ca- it's not like oh how can we make it better we have two cameras already let's put the third one on like they three obviously- is one better than two <laughs> yeah uh, like obviously, they think this is going to make a significant difference in the quality of your photos. And I, don't I mean, doubt just that. adding a third focal length will definitely yeah. help, but yeah. also that means you can do a potentially. Does it have to look so damn ugly though? This is a, a sixteen to eighteen hundred dollar phone. I mean, it won't and look like that, right? I don't think it will not? look like this. This. I, I, I don't, don't think- know. I feel like we didn't think the iPhone ten 
would look like it does either with uh, two things sticking out. Sh- sure, it might look like that. I, I just think it's look, unlikely to It, it probably to be. won't look but, the same. But I think it, based on these renderings, it seems safe to assume that there's going to be some kind of square-shaped pop-out sure. with either two or three lenses. And, okay, sure, it'll probably look better in Apple's marketing shots and even in person, mm-hmm. but it's still an ugly thing. That's it's, a, it's like, I think the notch is ugly. And it doesn't matter how many renderings or phones I see in person, I still think that's ugly design. Um, in general, cab- camera bumps are pretty ugly. Uh, it was more acceptable when there was only a single uh, camera bump, like on the iPhone 7, and mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. looked kind of nicer than the what it does now. Anyway, just getting worse. I understand this is probably what people want. Um, and also, it's kind of like, well, why is he complaining about this now? We've known this for ages. I haven't known this. It's kind of like you hear these things, you see them go by. I haven't been paying attention. But now, realistically, we're probably four weeks out from an Apple event. And I am realistically going to spend a bunch of money on this phone. And now it just kind of feels real. It's like, oh, there is genuinely no alternative coming. What is the... What is the official cup of tech prediction? The third of third of September for the event. The week of the third. I don't know what day of the week. Um, that's my prediction. I don't know if you concur. Well, I would have predicted the, the week, week of the after, second, but considering yeah. you seem to be onto something, I think maybe it will be a week earlier this year. Yeah, I think initially I thought tenth, but then I course corrected to third based on the. Um, what was it? The third quarter uh, investor call? Yeah, you mentioned were... something about the earnings call sort of implying that there was going to be an extra week of iPhone yeah. sales. Yeah, because of, of lower channel sales, inventory than usual at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think there is likely that there will be an extra week of sales in the next quarter of the new phone. And if that's the case, if, it, if the new phone does launch on the 13th, then the event almost has to be that. Uh, either the Monday or the Tuesday of hmm. the first week of September, if the launch is the 20th, which was my original prediction, but I have since refined to be the 13th for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the event could be either the week of the second or even the week of the ninth. It, oh, that not- would be super tight though. I mean, no, but it's the same. It's the same as having the event on the week of the second and releasing the 13th. Um, it's happened before. It's happened before you do like a Monday or a Tuesday event pre-orders happen that friday and the things ship the following friday it's not it's not uncommon um it has also happened uh, if for the 20th do you oh, mean uh, for the 20th it could be the second like the week of the second or the ninth yeah i think mm. it's yeah. also happened where there's a two-week gap before yeah i don't think we'll see a two-week gap maybe. but we'll see but either way i think this entire uh hardware i i call them i don't know what what do we call them now um, like the, the three-year oh, yeah. generation of iphone the, revision, the, tri- yeah. the tri-factor yeah, we're not calling it that. No. <laughs> um, the I, camera. I think... <laughs> sure, Martin. Sorry, I'm just trying <laughs> really hard. <laughs> uh, I just think that one is not really... It's kind of missed for, for all three of us, really. That seems to not be the one that we were uh, super excited about. Just form factor, it's, it, it pushed towards... I mean, what do you think that the reason is? Um, that I, I don't know. Because I think in general, this entire generation of iPhones, like the no, 10 I, generation, uh, is larger than all of us would have liked to. Yeah, I know. It's larger, but I feel like in general, Apple was bigger than too, before. It's bigger than before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I put it in show notes. Uh, people were still quite happy to buy larger phones. And I think we were the minority in wanting to have smaller phones again. Um, but I think... Um, 
So I don't really think the size was something that was going against what I had expected. And I think we were happy about the iPhone 10. I don't feel like overall, like it was a very futuristic phone. I liked that there was no home button because my fingerprint reader never worked for me. Mm. And like. overall, I felt like I liked the screen. We did have some, I think there, there could be some hit and misses with the quality of the screen. But overall, if you get a good screen, it looked quite nice. So I don't feel like I was unhappy with this form factor. What I would have liked is to get, if they, if they want to keep the same size, I understand that to some extent, but I was hoping to change a little bit more of the form factor to make it a bit like squarer, like they do with the iPad. Because that could make it like, even if it's big, it would be a lot easier to hold it if the edges are square. I think that's all coming for next year. I think yeah. next year we'll probably see a smaller phone again. Because, I mean, realistically, most of the push for larger phones seems to have been coming from the Asian markets, China and Korea, and mm. uh, not so much from the Western market. And now with Apple's Chinese, especially Chinese market, kind of shrinking with the trade war between the US and China. Yeah, but maybe I mean, that, that started. When did that start? That started this year or maybe last year yeah but it's definitely i mean it was foreshadowed for a while that that would the chances of that yeah. intensifying yeah. uh were were increasing for for years really really since uh trump was elected and he, him not necessarily being the most uh <sighs> what's the word i'm looking for open-minded no careful in nego international uh relations yeah um, in german there's a word for that isn't yeah <laughs> um i mean it was it was not unrealistic to unrealistic to expect that to uh, intensify over time and therefore potentially shrinking and then just having that as another option i don't know i don't know it would be interesting to see like an actual breakdown if apple releases three sizes next year a smaller one than we have right now the 10 size and a large one would be interesting to see what the breakdown is of sales whether people are still attracted to larger phones or if people would pick the smaller ones um but it does I'll sound like next year's phone is the one that we'd be most interested in especially given the things that we've spoken about on the podcast and what we're looking for in phones mm. but so i wonder you... i wonder what was driving that do you think it was like the the asian markets driving the size of phone and form factor of like more fancier materials or or do you think it was yeah, I, I mean, think you I think you somehow have to justify the stupid prices. And do you think it's that they're it's experimenting like with price so they like make it bigger means we can But, but that's the thing so people money. associate size with like value. The and new 27 it's, it's inch almost, iPhone 11. <laughs> no, but it's it's almost stupid because if you think about uh one of the most expensive things in technology is miniaturizing things. <laughs> but in mm. you know it's it's almost e like yes there's more hardware and material that goes into a larger phone but if you're talking about like innovating and you know smaller processing smaller processes and things like that it's actually a more difficult challenge to fit the same thing in a smaller form factor anyway yeah so I, I think it's one way to justify stupid prices and also the larger phones were selling well you look at how yeah, successful yeah. the iphone 6 and 6 plus launch was uh, i think that was uh, at, at least for like the year or two following was the most successful iphone launch ever uh people responded well to it and and like anything i mean phones are phones are ultimately a fashion item they're a luxury item they're a fashion item these things ebb and flow uh one year larger phones are in the next year smaller phones are in and this and feature phones went through this cycle as well and i would be very surprised if we don't see this happen with uh smartphones as well we do get to a yeah. point where people 
would prefer smaller phones again. And it'll probably go back the other way eventually. I wonder if it was influenced by the Android phone market at all, because I felt like many phones that were competing with the the iPhone were larger, uh, larger Android phones. And I wonder if Apple wanted to tap into that market to actually have something. Like, it felt like already with the iPhone... 4s it started becoming taller and it seemed like they did realize that that was something popular no it's 4s the 5 yeah yeah um that one was already taller and it felt like something that it felt like they already realized then that yeah maybe they needed to go a bit bigger in order to cover a larger market and it seemed like people were excited to get the bigger phones and I guess people just start using the smartphones in different ways too. Now it's more of a device that you use for like watching videos. You want to have like a lot of content on there. Some people have it like rather than like picking up their computer, they might just sit and read on their phone. So I guess there might be certain people who prefer having a larger phone. Mm. I know it's not comfortable to hold, yeah, but I think give if you... give people options. Yeah. But also if you hold it with two hands, people... Or three. Yeah. Yeah. One for like, camera I'm, bump. I, I'm not see, happy. Honest, like, that's the thing. I never use my... When I'm in a position to sit down and have two hands occupied, usually I'm at my Mac. If mm. I'm using my phone, I'm on the go. I'm on a train. I'm walking. Or, yeah, I probably shouldn't be using my phone while I walk. But honestly, that's one of the things it's good for. Quick communication and maps. Like, it's it's what it's great for. Mm. Pulling it in and out of a pocket. Just a podcast. Those kind of things. And I, I've given all these arguments before, but it makes a lot of sense to have a small phone. Um, it's just easier to navigate. Isn't that what you could use your watch for, though? <sighs> yeah, the watch is almost there. But the thing with the watch is you still need two hands because you need your you need to lift your left hand and control it with your right. So if you're carrying something, it's very difficult to then use your watch. It's easier if you've got one spare hand to reach into your pocket and pull out a phone. So you haven't started using your nose yet? It might have happened <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> I uh, don't make a regular thing of it. <laughs> Do the quick glance over the shoulder, make sure no one's staring first. You know? <laughs> no, I'm there. I, I've done it from time to time, but it's not. Uh, it's not ideal. No. Yeah. So I'm. I'm hoping for next year. This year is probably might yeah, be the it's first, too late for this first year ever that I will skip. I, I say that every year. It but I'm so I've never annoyed. heard you say this before, guys. Uh, yeah, but I, I. I'm. I'm so excited about next year's iPhone because I. I. I I hope it will go smaller. So this year will be. I I I I could imagine the camera stuff to be interesting. Could be interesting for like three D scanning stuff or whatever else you can potentially better do yeah. with. Yeah, more like cameras. It could definitely be be a better camera experience. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think realistically, they probably need it to be like. I don't know if it if they are at a point where they can make the phone smaller, but I think what could help is to just change the form factor and make it a bit more square and like harder edges, because at least you get a better grip then. Mm. Uh, but like, I think you said that like we all dislike this design overall. I'm not unhappy with it. I just feel like it I could am. still I be I'll better. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Next year. We'll see. You know, it's a nice looking phone. The smaller pixel. The recent one. I have a friend. Oh, look at the forehead, though. It's such a, like, the bezel. I I don't like it anymore. I don't care. It's actually, like, it's a nice size. Anyway. um, I'm not on board with that either. In that time, in Um, that time of complaining, I scrolled a little bit further down the Mac Rumors article. They make a good (laughs) Uh point about the event date. Labor Day is the 2nd of September, which is the Monday, and... Apple often, well, they wouldn't really want to do an event, obviously couldn't do an event Monday. They probably wouldn't want to do an event the Tuesday because people have to travel. And mm. do you really want people traveling on a on a 
public holiday? Probably not. Or people or journalists won't want to, if they're, especially if they're spending time with their family. So then maybe the earliest day you could do it is the Wednesday. You could do a Wednesday event for a Friday pre-order uh, and a following Friday to launch it. I don't think it's a problem, event? but it's, it's cutting it fine. That's definitely for sure. So, mm. so maybe 10th. Okay, I go back all. to my original prediction. 10th. Uh, I still have reason for thinking it's not. Yeah. But. Anyway, that rough time span between the 3rd and the 10th. Keep your calendars free at yeah. 9 a.m. Pacific time. 9 a.m. Actually, can I point out? Can I point out? Mm. Last year, it, I've got it in my calendar for the 13th, which was a Thursday, which means it was a Wednesday in the US. Mm. Um, 12th of September. And so when that did was a Wednesday. Start? I mean, that's kind of an understandable one, though, because the Tuesday was the 11th and you probably don't want to do anything mm. um, on the 11th, but you never know. Uh, and then pre-orders started the following days for me anyway, in Australia, the 14th at 5 PM, which would be the midnight of the 14th in California time. And the launch was the 21st, at least for some of the devices. I don't remember which I only picked up a watch, but um, so it's doable. It's definitely doable to have a uh Wednesday event in the US and pre-orders a couple of days later and to ship uh, the following Friday. Mm. So I'm yeah. still going to I'm still going to hold out and say that the launch will be the 13th. What? Mm. Oh, yeah, the, the launch, launch will be the 13th. And then the, the event the being the 3rd or the 4th. Launch will be the 13th. And the announcement will be I say the announcement will be the 4th in the US, the 5th in Australia. All right. We'll see. My prediction. Mm. We're only um, a month away, so we'll see. Do you think we'll see new watches? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. What do you expect to see? I think I asked that last week. Just a battery? Well, it'll be a standalone. So, whatever battery performance they can... Yeah, I mean, we did speak about it. But whatever mm. battery performance they can eke out of a new model will go into making this uh, be able to survive on cellular or mobile data for an entire day. That's my call. I don't expect sleep tracking. I don't expect any other improvements. I think that all of the gains that they can do, the efficiency gains year over year, the battery improvement, however small, will go into uh, an all-day mobile data connected watch. So, potentially one of the smallest watch updates. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you upgrade? Which sort of... No, I don't think I would. So, you don't think there will be any... Or do you think there will be any like noticeable form factor differences? You don't think there will be any design changes? They redesigned it last year. I think we're in a pretty Did good they? form factor state. Uh, yeah, we've got yeah, the, the screen is curved bigger. screen thing. Yeah. I probably won't update, Kai, because especially if the iPhone 11 can charge the watch on the back uh, of the uh, iPhone 11, I, I think that there's no reason to upgrade in that case because even if battery becomes a concern over the next year, I can just pop it on the back of my phone for a few minutes and get some juice. <laughs> so, yeah, so convenient. Uh, I hope that's not happening. Um... Okay. Uh, do you think that the watch needs to stay a year-over-year refresh device? Uh, sorry, you know what I realized you could do? No. If you want to charge your phone, your watch on your phone, some people might just attach the watch to the phone. Like with like a bracelet. With a strap? With a strap. Like you oh, can yeah. just do that. <laughs> the watch can hug your phone. Yeah, but that's really painful for me to think about because there are all the metal clasps on the inside of the band so your phone is going to get all scratching but yeah that could be a solution quotation oh man I yeah sure (laughs) I think it's pretty cool you Uh, could also probably charge your phone and your watch at the same time if you had a lightning cable going into your phone and the watch on the back of it just do some pass through (sighs) you don't you wouldn't need to carry a watch charger on holidays of a device now. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, sorry. On the one to. hand, we're going for phone independence, but on the other hand, they're more tightly coupled than yeah. ever. 
Mm-hmm. You should be in their marketing team. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. um, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that on the podcast. I'm saving that for the event next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Now they have to fire you. Mm. Mm. Damn. Damn. Lost that contract. Yeah. Well, might be a cheap uh, autumn this year. All right. So, 20-something minutes later, we should get into follow-up because we actually have a bit of follow-up this week. The first bit of follow-up that I just really quickly want to address is I said something incorrectly and norm- like I say things incorrectly all the time and it normally doesn't bother me, but this one kind of bothered me when I listened back. Um, so, I said that I was talking about the uh, requests for the metadata that's now mandatorily retra- retained by uh, ISPs and things like that in Australia. I think I said it, there was a report that came out that said that 3,300 organizations had requested data. I meant that there were 3,300 requests for okay. data by various organizations, not mm. that 3,300 organizations requested data. Okay. Hopefully that was obvious, but I did just want to clarify that because obviously it was an incorrect fact. Um <laughs> I don't recall us talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> it has been bothering Zach for a week, guys. I know. Yeah. Yes, it has been bothering me. Um, so, okay. Cool. Yeah. Happy that um, we got that sorted. <laughs> People could so, sleep. Everyone yeah. feels better now. People can sleep again at night. I can sleep again at night. That mm. might have been why I wasn't sleeping all this week. Okay. Mm. Uh, we have coffee shop follow-up. I don't know what this is about, so do one of you want to yeah. explain um, so the coffee shop that I complained about uh, not having uh, accepting uh, tap to pay added a, get a, get a new payment terminal so I can finally tap to pay. This is a very small this thing. This is amazing. But, this is you great follow up. Yeah, like I feel like my complaints have been heard here. Um, I, I definitely take credit for this. Um, they definitely they are definitely listening to the podcast. They are so interested in this. Uh, so I'm, I made made them change. Might have been because I asked them every time why they don't accept tap to pay. That might be more likely. You know, I'm really enjoying us talking about payment related things on this podcast because we often talk about something and then it happens. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It is. It so, is weird. Yeah. yeah. On that, uh, we spoke a lot about tap and go on using Apple Pay on public transit in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And the morning after we recorded. And we, the thing is, last week we recorded a day earlier than usual. So, if we'd recorded on our usual day, we would have caught this news. But the Commonwealth Bank, who are the payment processors for the public transport system in Australia, if you use contactless, oh, sorry, in, in Sydney, I should say, for the Opal system, uh, announced that you get now get, as of Monday, so the following day, um, you now get all your benefits of using a regular Opal transport card if you choose to use a debit or credit card as well. So, the cool things like that, you get all the caps. So, you get your daily cap, weekly cap, and your Sunday travel cap, because in Sydney, you're maxed out at like $2.70 or $2.80 a day. Uh, on on Sundays, you get your weekly travel reward. So after eight trips, it's half price. You get a transfer discount. So if you're going between, say, a bus and a train, it's a little bit cheaper on that second mode of transport. And you also get off-peak pricing, which are all the things that you would want as an adult using public transport in Sydney <laughs> to ditch the Opal card. Just so, go to opal.com and enter Zach as the as a coupon code, <laughs> and you will get all those features. So now you, yeah, now you can use your card. It's great. Uh, and I had the realization that when my student card expires, probably towards the end of this year or early next year, I will probably never own a physical adult transport card because I will just forever be using a debit or a credit card, which is exciting. Um, so that was really cool follow up. So yeah, in the same vein as, as Marlon's coffee shop getting a tap terminal, 
now the public transport system in Sydney is a lot better too. Well, at least they take different type of payments. Yeah, don't know. That yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it speeds things up because a lot of people walk through with their phone in their hand, but their wallet in their bag. So you get people at the gates fishing through their bag for the oh, wallet, which sucks people. at 5 p.m. Yeah, but don't t- I'm sorry, but if they go to the train every day, won't they know to prepare to pick up their card and well, their wallet? That's the thing. Even if, like, even if... 20% of the people on a train or going through the gates are infrequent travellers, that's really going to slow things down. I hate mm. using public transport on the weekends because you can tell everyone who uses public transport on the weekends doesn't use it during the week. Everything is so slow. No one knows how the system works. No one knows where to tap, how to tap, how long they should hold their card for. Did it work? Did it work? I, I can't tell you how many times on buses on the weekends I see people because you tap on and you tap off on the system. I can't tell you how many people will tap off and think it didn't work and then try again and then they've tapped on and now they get off the bus and like the system is supposed to prevent that if you do it on the same terminal but sometimes if you go across to another one because you think it didn't work it doesn't work and so it's a it's a mess and i hate it um isn't that why people live in in sydney for the relaxed uh east coast lifestyle i thought you liked Mm. the laid-back lifestyle people are not in a hurry just enjoyed it the 30 seconds uh that you have to wait Mm -hmm. to tap off yeah, and in that 30 seconds, you miss the train and the next one doesn't come for half an hour. It's yeah, amazing. That means you have even more time to relax. Yeah. <laughs> more time to sip smoothies on Bondi Beach, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the real goal. That's what people I do. thought you sip coconuts. Is that an Australian thing? Oh, for sure it is. So. It's a beach thing. I don't think it's an Australian thing. Anyways. Anyway, we uh, are an island. We're not that kind of island. <laughs> Okay. That's very condescending. I don't yeah. know. Uh, what do we have against people drinking coconuts? Um, That's hang loose holiday mode, isn't it? Hawaii, mm. Pacific Islands, those kind of places. Speaking of condescending, um, rude. We also have follow up about the Apple Siri recording contractors listening to your your request thing. We do, and we actually have two two statements from Apple. Uh, one was a bit weird. The first one. Well, it's like, I, I don't have it in front of me, but... Was this the response sort of immediately after? Uh, maybe you can pull it up. Here we go. So, on the 26th, 9 to 5 Mac said that... Um, well, I might as well just read it. A small portion of Siri requests are analyzed to improve Siri and dictation. User requests are not associated with the user's Apple ID. Siri responses are analyzed in secure facilities and all reviewers are under the obligation to adhere to Apple's strict confidentiality requirements. Uh, and then the comp- this is not part of the statement, but the company added that a very small random subset, less than 1% of daily Siri activations are used for grading and those used are typically only a few seconds long. Can I just point out, anything under 1% is probably still huge if you're even Mm -hmm. if you're talking a tenth of one percent that's still a giant number of siri requests and let's take this number and let's say it's half a percent that's like that means that there's almost guarantee people are listening to my recordings on a probably weekly basis i talk to siri a lot Mm. um so that number Mm -hmm. is still frighteningly high uh i I don't think i think it's kind of meaningless to say oh less than one percent because at apple scale any non-zero number is still But huge. also just based on a thing that you use so frequently, right? It's not like, I don't know, a t- tax return that you file once a year. Like, if you use Siri, you probably use Siri, like, between 1 and 20 times a day. That means 1% still hits you quite frequently. Exactly. And, I mean, I would say our our 
uh, HomePod probably falsely triggers maybe five times a week. So oh, yeah. I don't really think it's that much. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Like just under once a day, I would say so. Um, so there, I mean, it's just one percent is still a lot if you do if it's a service that you constantly use. Um, so that's still weird, but also the response was a bit weird to me. Like, it's like, yeah, that's what we're doing, and we don't attach Apple IDs, so it's super secure. Yeah, that was a that was a a poor response. So then, anyway, yesterday we got a proper response, which <laughs> yeah, is, I think I mean, Apple realized a- it's like. Yeah, I, I don't think that one was good. It wasn't much of a response. It was just like, mm, no, yeah, we, we, it was more of a confirmation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it happened like well after the close of business on a Thursday evening. Um, so that anyway, that aside, um, they decided to um, stop. Oh, they said a future software update. Well, sorry, no longer humans are analyzing the voice recordings. And in a future software update, we're going to make it opt in. Mm. I don't mm. or give users the ability to opt in. I they didn't say that it will be opt out by default. They didn't say this and I'm uh, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here and think that it will be opt in, but they haven't said. It. I mean it's off it's off for now, right? And then we'll see what they do later. So we'll see what yes. they do later. But also yeah, yeah. uh I wonder how many people just lost their jobs. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Oh, who knows. Like all this con- because they completely turned it off for now, right? So all the contractors mm. they they probably do not. I mean, they're probably just switched to now doing uh Google grading or something. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or text input grading. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I, I mean, I mean yeah. this seems like a the the smarter decision to just stop with it and reevaluate it. Um, and, and to be clear, then, it shouldn't have happened to begin with. No. There's no excuse. It's not. Oh, now we've got some negative media attention. I mean, surely they would have realized this back in. I think it was at May when some of the other stories came out about Amazon and Google. Surely somebody at Apple would have realized this, and there were probably it's internal weird, right? debates it's about weird. do we, don't we? But you know, surely bad bad attention happens for your competitors. Surely you don't want to be caught up in that. You know, someone should have gone. But I really wonder was this a, was this a stuff up? Did someone like not, no way? Did no. someone high up not realize that Apple's doing this too? Yeah, who knows? Or or is it like was that a deliberate decision? It's like we think no one like considering that there was outrage about other companies doing this. Was there someone at Apple knowing what's going on, thinking? I'm sure no one will figure out that we do the same. It's it's weird, I right? I don't know, and especially when there are marketing campaigns going on at the same time, talking about privacy. It is a bit weird that those things go yeah. slightly against each other. So, but a company the size of Apple, there's no way that everyone's in sync, no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah but it still yeah. is disappointing that somebody with the authority over this didn't put two and two together and go, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Or, or even taking the time, let's assume that somebody in the position to do that was oblivious to it, even take the time to go, hey, just, just double checking we don't do this, right, in, in May when they could have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Either way... Uh uh, yeah, like I mean, at least they are addressing this quite quickly after their first attempt to not. I, I don't know. I mean, they were still giving two well, it took almost a week. Yeah, six days or something. But yeah. have any other companies like Google or Amazon done anything to address similar concerns? Because I feel, I, I mean, I haven't you really. Wouldn't expect them to though. That's where they make their money. I know, I know, but I haven't. I haven't. I just feel like if they if people start mentioning this for Apple, people might start looking at other companies too. And ask mm. them to do it. I mean, with Google, you can opt out, and you might have been able to do that from the very beginning as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's and that's at least the first step is is allowing people to opt out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
they're addressing it. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like they still need another way to... Like what we said the other week, it feels a bit strange that there are still so many problems with the voice assistants, considering that they are doing this type of testing. It still felt like there were so many missed triggers. And I wonder if they... Uh, what other process they're going to add in order to fix this? Do you guys think they're just going to add the opt-in feature and just go back to business as usual and just keep on using the same type of process? Or do you think they will start to do more like transcripts? And I stuff mean, like it that? seems like overall what Apple's tendency is to do more things on device, right? So there would be... Well, voice is hard. Voice you can't is really... hard, but you, can tr- you could get to a point where you do the transcription on the device, right? Yeah, yeah. But then still verify it by humans as a transcript like you you then send a trans the transcription of your whatever the the thing understood yeah. you to say yeah and see what the output was yeah based yeah. on 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 whatever sentence you provided it that way at least it's actually a lot more anonymous yeah because then you don't hear that the person talking anymore i do wonder why they didn't do that because i feel like at the moment i don't think siri does transcription on device it still no. sends it to apple Oh, so even when, um, what about when when I have the Siri interface open and I ask it a question, mm-hmm. it's always displaying what I said on the device. Is that doing a network call every time? Oh, I didn't yep. realize. I thought it only does it for the actual action, about not it. for the transcription. I think there was something that was meant to change with that. I don't remember exactly, but for certain types of actions, it was meant to happen on device. I don't recall exactly what it was, uh, but I've never seen anything sort of come of that. So. Mm. Anyway, but look, I think with these kind of things, voice is really hard. You can't really apply differential privacy to voice. You can't really add noise to a voice sample and get any kind of meaningful data that you can analyze out of that. I completely understand the need to have uh, humans listening as part of this, but I still stand by that it should be opt-in only and... I wouldn't be surprised if, to answer your question, Marlon, they do go back to business as usual, assuming, like, I, I would be okay with that, assuming that it became opt-in and that the data these uh, contractors or, or employees, whoever it might be, are using to analyze these samples is coming from people who've explicitly opted in and, you know, checked a box or toggled a switch but in the Siri settings on their even, even Even on a per-request basis, though, I think Apple would get way more qualitative data if you would actually let people say, hey, this didn't work. Because then... Yeah, so you know... R- right? You know Every time something change triggers incorrectly, if, if you could then just say uh, never... Every time you're saying, like, this, the cylinder triggers, uh, does the... Hmm? Something happens, didn't get that, and then you just say never mind or whatever. If it would then ask you, hey, did that, did I trigger accidentally or yeah. whatever, and you say yes, and it asks you if you sh- if you're willing mm. to participate in something on a per request basis, yeah, that would be way more useful of of data to send to Apple. It f- makes you feel better because now you feel like you contributed to a s- potential data point to fix the problem you have. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think people are happy to fix the problems, or I mean, do you think they just want it to work? Because I think sure people want it to work, but the next, the next best thing is having some kind of outlet about you know. Otherwise, what's your outlet of something doesn't work? You're like stupid cylinder. Yeah, that's what people do. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, people also. I mean, Apple has enough people, like enough I users, know. that even if one percent of people actually give <laughs> feedback, yeah, you know that that might be enough to yeah. get to useful data rather than just random. I know that's something that Amazon has been doing with the Echo. 
yeah. for a while. Like if it if you ask for like a fact, it reads it out to you and then ask was that hel- was that answer helpful? Mm. And then you say yeah or no, and then she says thanks for your feedback. And it feels a little bit like oh, it's weird. Like am I am I doing a survey questionnaire now? But it does also feel like they're doing something to change their but you behavior. You can even do it in the app, right? In the uh, mm. Amazon Echo app, you can actually uh, see all the all the requests you made, and you can complain mm-hmm. about something. Like if something didn't work, you can say like give some type of feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, Apple already does this on macOS with crash reporting. Yeah. How many times a day do you see the X code has crashed? Would you like to send your crash logs and a comment? <laughs> Surprisingly and few times lately. Really? Oh, you yeah. don't use the betas. Um, if you use the betas, this is like five times a day. <laughs> and so they have systems in place. They've done this before. So I think it sounds like a great idea to do something similar on Siri with Siri, uh, even if it was just on iOS. I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, and you had a nice visual interface for it. But yeah, so because I- they know when people are overriding requests, you can do the tap to edit thing, and often you get a few autocorrect suggestions. And I use that from time to time. So they know when people are unhappy with the request, particularly on iOS. There's no reason why they couldn't say, "Hey." Do you want to send this to Apple mm. for further processing? Looks mm. like we could do a better job next time. But then it's also very clear on a per request because sometimes you might have an accidental trigger and you're like, mm. ooh, this was super confidential. I don't want that one. I It wasn't correct, but I don't want to send this. It could also be that you triggered it, but you didn't even notice that you were triggering it. Sure. So you don't want it to, by default, send it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's hard, right? Because it's a thing that lives in your house. I can't right now decide whether I want to send everything to Apple at all times because there's a wider range of things that you... I mean, it's a home office, right? There are a lot of things happening in in someone's private space and it's really hard to predict all the potential circumstances where a thing can misfire you know, you can't you can't change what 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 kind of whether you have confidential uh, uh, discussions or things you don't want to share in your house ever happening. Mm. I, I did find it to be a bit weird that some of the examples that um, Guardian art, art was it the Guardian? Yeah, yeah, the Guardian article was mentioning was doctors talking to their patients, mm. but it I, I didn't really like. I, I was surprised that people would even have assistants in a doctor's office. <laughs> a phone. Phone in your oh, pocket. Oh, yeah. Doctor's sorry. phone, your phone, Apple Watch. Sometimes. You no, you're right. You're right. No. Because mm-hmm. I, I know you, you seem to be coming at it from the context of speaker in the home, which yeah. I don't have. So I'm yeah. more from the iPhone or Apple Watch accidental triggers. Mm. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the iPad that sits on my desk most of the week is a home assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sort of walk into my room and ask things. <laughs> because for me, I feel like I don't. I don't notice that much mis- that's that much mistriggering from other devices. It's mostly the HomePod for me, mm. and and that would make sense. It's probably the most sensitive and mm. has the best microphone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the Apple Watch is surprisingly yeah. sensitive. I think because I think it's pretty generous with when it triggers Siri because it has the um, like the screen needs to be on as well. So I find that oftentimes if I'm looking at the watch and I probably don't say things that sound too much like the trigger phrase, it will still trigger. But you don't need that anymore, right? You can now ask for requests without saying the the trigger phrase. So if you happen to scratch your head and you speak, it will trigger because how would it know whether you're talking to it or to something? Like, Good point. Good point. So, um, yep. But those kind of things, right? It, it will happen. It's not, you can't avoid accidental triggers and then do, to me the only sensible way is to have an per request opt in 
because it makes you feel better. You you provide feedback to something that just didn't work for you. And you can decide, is this something I'm happy to share or is this something you want to keep private? So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, makes sense. Yep, totally. All right. Got through the follow-up. I built um, email address confirmation uh, today. I, I always, I don't know why. I, Doesn't I was, sign in with Apple solve that? Sure, if you run iOS 13. Um, but I was always shying away from building that. I don't know why. Uh, well, it's actually really easy. Took less than a day. It works really nicely. Nice. Pretty neat, I think. It was super simple. So I built entire, like, sending emails from the server, uh, generating the, the UUID kind of token to to indicate which email you're verifying uh, and, the, nice. and the website that then actually opens to verify your email address. Am really I able to test this out in staging? Um, you will probably... I haven't pushed it to staging yet, but okay. I will do that depending on when we start recording. Uh, either later uh, today or well, tomorrow, because I when will, you do, let all, me know all the uh, all the existing users that want to start uh, pre order. They will uh, have to confirm the email address. Okay. Um. So there is basically a flow. If you're trying to check out and you haven't confirmed your email, then you can get yourself get like one of those email confirmation things sent. Because I didn't want to just send it out randomly to all all existing users. Uh, because most yeah, users, yeah yeah no of course that would be I'd consider that spam yeah and most users wouldn't need it right because it will mm. launch in Vancouver um, so if you're if you're outside of Vancouver you get this random email without you knowing why it feels a bit weird so all yeah. from the point when I when I release it every new account registration will automatically get that as part of registration uh, if you don't confirm it you you can just not do. Uh, money transactions and for existing accounts you can still go into the menu and you can do, still do everything but before you check out there's basically a button hey send send an email confirmation email you get an email you tap the button and then your button will turn into a checkout button nice hmm. that was really fun uh, there are a lot of services that try to sell I know. like sending emails yeah. and verifying emails yeah, and it gets okay. really pricey really quickly and um, you often give up your users' email addresses. Yeah, mm. You kind of have to, right? Yep. Um, Someone else is building a database. <laughs> yeah, but it's also weird because realistically, it's not that hard. I mean, maybe maybe mm. I'm missing something and I run into reasons to change it. But what I have at the moment, essentially, is if you create an account, I generate a UUID, which is basically the confirmation code. Um, and uh, then I generate a link that has that UUID in it, send it to your email address. If you Click that, I check um, the URL you're going to, whether you, I have the UID, if that matches the users, then it confirms the email address, done. Nice. And I don't have to give anyone any, like, I don't have to give my users' email addresses to anyone. It's just mm -hmm. uh, every every line, again, uh, of code I wrote, so I know that it's not doing anything weird. And it also is a lot cheaper because now I'm paying nothing instead of, I don't know, Ten dollars for a hundred verifications and hundreds of dollars for thousands of verifications. It's just I don't know. I don't know why people always want to pay others to do very simple tasks. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. No, I agree with you. It feels no, like yeah. like maybe we're missing something, but I feel like often certain things are made to seem 
to be harder than they are, but then once you start looking into them, it's actually relatively straightforward to do things. I, I see so many things online where people are like, if you want to send push notifications, pay mm-hmm. for the service. If you then want to send your users an email, pay for the service. If you Yeah, so, yeah. Like I know so many companies that use AWS to send push notifications. Push notifications are really not that hard. <laughs> uh, no, and I, I feel like they have been made relative, like uh, relatively easy for iOS to send, but I wonder if it's, I think many people who... It's Firebase on Android. Yeah. That is already a service that, you know, that Google provides you to. I mean, it's it's really... I wonder if it's because of some organizations trying to, like, some companies might think that sending push notifications is something that the backend developers are in charge of, and then having something like... um, Using, using like Apple platforms or Firebase directly is not really part of their workflow. So that's why they feel like using AWS is already part of their workflow. But it's, I mean... Could that be a thing? The, the simplest possible way is using curl, establishing an HTTP2 connection and keeping it alive. I mean, it's not... And then you just keep sending Apple uh, post requests to to who you want to send messages to and what the message should contain. It's really not... I mean, if you already have... I could maybe see it for people that do not have the ability to build backends. But if you yeah, have, yeah. either if you can do it yourself or if you have a team, even even more so if you have a team, like if you have a team that actually builds a backend service, sending a push notification is not something that should be outside of the 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 capabilities of your team. And if it is, then it's a good thing to learn. Because yeah, that's what I feel too. At least learn it first and see how hard it is. And then you often realize that it isn't that hard. But at least you know the underlying way of doing it and you know what you are and you're paying for and if that's worth what you're paying. Mm. And it's like Apple already Apple already built that service, right? APNS is already a service that you're talking to. It's not like you have to, I don't know, build an entire token system where you're generating tokens that you pass. I mean, Apple already gives you a token on the device. You give it to your backend and then you say, hey, send a push notification to this token, please. And Apple even tells you if this token is no longer active. So you're like, okay, that one is dead. So you remove it from your database. It's like that is already a service. I don't get it. Yeah, maybe we're missing something. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, I I, I do agree. Certain things always feels like people are overcomplicating them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. I have one more quick thing to mention Mm. before moving into things of the week. So this morning... I'm working on updates, Patty, which I'd like to talk about a little bit more, hopefully Ooh. next week or the week after. Um, and this morning, for various reasons, decided to, on my development branch at least, drop support for iOS 12. And so I bumped the minimum deployment target up to uh, from 12.0 up to um, 13.0. And it sort of relates to my pick, but not really. Um, you know how previously... When you export a build from Xcode, it basically throws everything it could possibly need into the archive and you upload the whole thing to App Store Connect and it might be like 200 megabytes. And then uh, App Store Connect does its thing when you go to download it. And uh, if, you know, if, you're, if you don't need the Swift libraries in there, it might drop your, your build size down to 10 megabytes. Um, if you do, it might keep it up at 30, but you've always had to upload a multi-hundred megabyte um, IPA file, even if the app is very simple that and has very few uh, dependencies. Um, I noticed after making this change, 
uh, that the IPA that it was exporting is now 7.3 megabytes, which makes my uploads to App Store Connect lightning fast, as opposed to the old 200 megabytes, which used to take quite a bit of time. So I just wanted to, to point that out there. Um, it could it was probably a result of dropping uh, support for pre-iOS 12.2 entirely. It's probably less so related to making the jump to iOS 13. Uh, but I did just want to highlight that, that if any iOS, iOS developers are looking at speeding up their um, workflows for uploading to App Store Connect, then uh, dropping support, I presume, for, for earlier than 12.2 will save you a lot of time on those uploads because the standard libraries are dropped. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. I just I just discovered this. So, petty.ipa is now 7.3 megabytes and explains why I've been uploading builds really fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into picks? How long how long does upload take for you? Okay. Okay, so this is related to my pick and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Marlon, I think I said last week that you should go first, but because we're already on this topic, would you mind if I went first? It's fine. I just had a question for you, but it might be unrelated. So we sure. can do it after. So go for this first. Okay. All right. Uh, so Kai, my, actually my pick this week is Fastlane. There's reasons. I'd rather not use Fastlane, but I'm using Fastlane at the moment for personal projects because BitRise, which is the CI platform of my choice, is sometimes misbehaving with beta software. So last week I couldn't get, uh, it to compile a project that has a Mac app or a Mac mm-hmm. Marzipan app, I should say, because, um, their machines that they're using are not yet on the latest version. But anyway, this seems to be fixed with beta 5. It can now compile and do tests and all that, even though... Because uh, I'm not building for the Mac target. I'm building for the iOS target. But it was still failing to build as up till last week. So, I was looking at solutions. And my the solution I've settled on is using Fastlane locally because sort of the next best thing. Um, anyway, uploading... To answer your question, how long uploads were taking, probably like 10 minutes because Fastlane, uploading through Fastlane, I don't know if Fastlane proxies it, but I've had this, I have this experience on multiple machines, multiple projects, uh, at work, at home, uploading anything, any IPA file via Fastlane is horrendously slow. doesn't matter how good your internet connection is, it's slow. So, I don't know what is going on with Fastlane, but it could be proxying things or it could just be that uploading through the App Store Connect API is significantly slower than using a first-party Apple tool like the application loader or the one built into Xcode. I'm not 100% sure there, but something odd happens with Fastlane. So anyway, this has meant that build upload times take now take uh, about a minute uh, on a reasonable home internet connection uh, as opposed to 10 minutes for, for Petty. Um, this this change where the IPA file is now significantly smaller. Canada.ca slash immigration. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I, I would like... Uh, do the same thing. Use, fa- use Fastlane and see if it, get, it gets any faster. I couldn't get a, an upload going at any more than 300 kilobits per second. And this- how, long, how long does it take if you upload an IPA through Xcode? It goes at the full... Speed. I haven't done it in a while, but it will use the full bandwidth of my okay. connection and, you know, the full 40 megabits or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, because this has confused me on multiple occasions. We use Fastlane to deliver IPAs at work. And at the time I'm uploading IPAs, which is usually after 5 p.m. Uh, on a weekday, the office internet is actually quite speedy. And it's always baffled me that it still takes the same amount of time, regardless of how much bandwidth I have. I can do a speed test and 
shows that I have a lot of extra bandwidth and it's still capping out at around 300 uh, kilobits per second. And I thought, I don't know, there's some firewall thing at work that's blocking the connection or slowing it down or whatever. Then I do the same thing at home for personal projects and it's the exact same scenario where it's just really, really slow. Um, so anyway, this uh, by actually reducing the IPA size, uh, I have now got really, really fast uploads, and I can, I think it takes uh, like all of three minutes between the time I execute the fast lane command to it bumping the version number, building, doing all that, and uploading to the App Store on my Mac. Which uh, a three minute thing is not really something I need CI for. I'm happy to let that run on my personal computer and just go. So it's pretty cool. I'm happy. Um, it's also something that's easy. I will, I will, I added it as a homework item for next week to to try and fast. Yeah, please, upload. please do. I'd, uh, and it, yeah, I'd love to see. Uh, it could just be that I'm hitting servers in the US, and yeah, so that's why the speed is slow. Um, if it's faster for you, that might be a possible solution. So yeah, it could it could be an API related thing. It could be a fast lane related. I'm not sure. I tried googling around, couldn't find too many people complaining about it. So maybe it is a server location issue, mm. and there aren't just many Australians who care. By the way, um, did you notice how much faster build processing is lately? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been taking like four minutes for, the, yeah, for really? these new smaller files, for these new smaller IPAs I've been uploading. About four minutes. I, I wonder um, if that's... Uh, maybe Apple just switched to the Mac Pros internally because <laughs> it's been crazy fast. Like, I, Yeah, no, it's pretty good. Even even after... Like, I mean, I usually upload builds throughout the entire day, even after five. And it used to be after five, like... PDT, you notice that upload uh, build processing kind of the speed increase because most people kind of stop working at that time, I guess. Um, but now throughout the entire day, it's like minutes. Like I, I don't think I've had any builds that took longer than ten minutes in in weeks. That's pretty impressive. Then I haven't uploaded anything for work in a while, but I'll have to have I have to pay attention. Uh, yes, yeah, next time I it's do. It's great. It's I yeah, don't know. No, it's, I mean, it's awesome. It's one of the. I mean, sometimes I had builds that took like it wasn't uncommon. It would take twenty, thirty, forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and now it's it's almost quick enough that it doesn't feel like it had like the feedback loop is so much quicker now especially when testing stuff with push notifications um sometimes i'm 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 lazy and i just want to not use uh different certificates for like developer push notifications so i go through test flights so i can use all the all the normal uh non non-dev don't uh, blame you points um <laughs> but now now it's so quick that it doesn't even feel like much of a, a downside of of uh deploying that type of workflow it's really good yeah no that's awesome for listeners who are still with us just so you know ipa if, if people don't know ipa is stands for ios app store package uh which is basically yeah not the beer <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone thought of that. I just want to clarify because we're just throwing around abbreviations, but it's a way for you to package your iOS app before uploading it to App Store Connect. Yeah, it's a fancy zip file. It's just it compresses everything you need and delivers it to the it's what it's what you're required to give to Apple. Yes. For some reason I didn't realize it stands for iOS App Store package. I thought it was IP stands for iPhone and A for uh application. Mm. Application so- package. Yeah, <laughs> Zach's like, all right, enough of that. <laughs> no more no, abbreviation no, no. Back, chats. Back to the pick because I feel like I'm dragging this out. Um, what? Yeah, so I'm picking Fastlane because it's actually it's actually been really quite nice to work with. Um, I haven't set up Fastlane to deliver an app in ages because I had some problems with the Ruby installation on my MacBook Pro that <laughs> honestly was not worth my time fixing. But since upgrading to Catalina, I had reason to play around with it for various other things. And so now the Ruby installation on my MacBook Pro is fixed. 
uh, and Fastlane works again. And I just want to say it was pretty good because I'm at that stage of the development cycle for Petty where, uh, so for the for the update that I'm hoping to ship in a few weeks, where I'm hoping to, or well, I'm going to start shipping betas. I've got the first one in test flight app review thing at the moment as we speak. Um, and the idea will be to push a beta probably once or twice a week. And I am not one with the patience to archive, like manually bump build numbers, archive and upload to the app store. Even if the net gain in terms of time is zero and I spend the exact same amount of time setting up my fast lane setup as I would over the next month manually waiting for these things to upload. I don't care. I would rather spend the time uh, building out the scripts and things like that. So anyway, I have my fast lane set up. I'm just in general pretty impressed with how it works. This morning, I even did a thing where I can now, or oh, I now have my test flight release notes in Git too, because one of mm-hmm. the things I've liked about fast, using fast lane to deliver uh, production apps in the past is you add all your metadata and Fastlane just takes care of the upload, which, and that means because your metadata generally sticks around in your Git repository, means that you have a history of release notes, you have a history of your app store description, your copyright notices, all the fancy metadata that you need to provide. Anyway, this morning I set it up for, um, for test flight release notes because that's always been something, or that's been something I've never kept before. And I think it would kind of be cool to have, I mean, it's a text file in Git, like it's not, taking up any space there's no reason to not keep it almost uh and to sort of be able to automate the delivery of that message um is great the downside to that just as a fun fact is you need to wait for the build to finish processing so the fast lane script keeps running um once you've uploaded uh the upload is mm-hmm. successful it will use the fast lane watch build tool thingy to keep an eye on the processing status of your build so if you do get a long uh long processing time let's say it's 40 minutes your your Fastlane script could be running for 40 minutes before it's then able to go into the build metadata and add the text. So it's probably less ideal if you're in a rush. I've got, I've now got two Fastlane or I've got multiple Fastlane lanes, but I've sort of split my beta Fastlane lane into Fastlane beta and Fastlane beta with changelog, which will then upload the changelog. Um, so yeah, I've been really impressed and it's just quite neat to now be able to uh, type a Fastlane command and have the build uploaded. And Fastlane is something I've used before at work and or use it all the time at work. And I do like that aspect of being able to upload anytime, anywhere. Um, but I've always had good enough CI set up that it hasn't been something worth looking into. But while uh, on the betas and things have been a bit flaky, uh, CI is, is uh, not working as well as I would like. And so Fastlane has proven to be a great alternative to quickly get builds up and running uh, on test flight. So yeah, that's my pick. Um, who's going mm. next? Um, I can go next. Um, this week I am picking a game, not an iOS game this time. Um, this is a VR game for the. I played it on the Oculus Quest. So I would say it is for the Oculus Quest, but it's available for other VR headsets and for Mac as well. Uh, it's called Super Hot. Um, nice. Even though it is available on Mac as well, I highly encourage people to play this in VR. It is so cool. Uh, I haven't finished the game, but basically the purpose of the game is for you, no matter which platform you play on, the purpose is to um, take out some enemies um, that are usually shooting at you or running towards you. Um, So you have to take them out, but the twist is that everything is happening in the speed that you're moving in. So if you're standing still, everything is standing still. And if you move slowly, things move slowly. So you have to sort of time your actions 
so that you're able to like duck, for example, so that you're in the right position. Um, or you maybe you have to catch something or grab something from a table really quickly so that you can defend yourself with that. Um, and you really have to time your motions because your enemies also continue moving in whatever speed you're moving in. Um, so it feels more like a puzzle game than yeah. a than a shooting game. Yeah, like you really have to look at your environment and see like, okay, sometimes it's not even shooting. You might just find an ashtray that you can throw at someone. And it's a very cool art style too. It doesn't look like, it's not like a very, it's not a realistic game in any way. Um, all the enemies are like, what would you call it? Like glass crystals? Yeah, like low poly polygons. Yeah, yeah. And they're really cool. So if you actually do hit someone, they just like explode. Like it looks like exploding glass. And it's this really cool effect. Shattering. Shattering a glass. Um, and this is really fun on Mac. I played it before on the Mac. Um, but they did remake the game for VR so that rather than you moving through a map, you actually just stand on one place and things come more towards you. And then you're being like teleported to different parts of the map once you're done with one quest. Um, so they did really manage to adopt it to, to VR. And the cool thing is that this is actually you physically moving. So sometimes you have to stand in really awkward positions, like for a really long time, just because you know that you're going to get like attack otherwise if if you're like standing up straight so you have to really move out of the way stand there for a while so it's actually a really fun game in that way and um, it's quite squatting simulator yeah yeah it's not a squatting simulator it's because you do squat mm. um and it's it's fun like it's actually quite exhausting and it's pretty intense as well because sometimes it's like because you know you have to stand still you sort of don't even want to breathe too too heavily because you might move a little bit um and it's it's really cool. And what I really like is like some. Uh, what I found to be really cool is that it's so immersive, even if it's like a cartoonish world. So at one point, you they put you at this edge, and you're standing and looking down on this, uh, like on on a lower ground, and it really feels like you're standing at a higher level, and you don't really want to move around. So it is really good at tricking you into thinking that there's a reason why you're standing still, and there's a reason why you're not walking through a map. Um, because like that wouldn't really work in VR because you have a limited amount of space and they're really good at utilizing the small amount of space you have and making it a progressive game that's not just a repetition of what you're doing like you actually progress through a map and it makes sense it's really cool I really found it to be fun so anyone who has a VR headset or has the opportunity to try it out I really recommend this and I think the game is actually quite different on VR and on like non-VR consoles and computers. Yeah. So you can you you can also just play it on both. Yeah, yeah. And like I played it on Mac before a while back and then you sort of move through a level so it is a bit different and the puzzles are a bit different because of that. Um but I definitely still felt like it was challenging and fun to do the VR version afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a really good game. Yeah. That's my pick. Cool. Um my pick is, is more boring in comparison, Figma. I don't think we've actually picked that before. Yeah, we have we, definitely picked this. I think Figma was picked quite recently. Figma Mirror was picked yeah, by Marlin. Yeah, Figma was picked too oh, earlier. because it's the, that's the why, same. Otherwise, it's not the otherwise same. I would have picked Figma. I, I, I couldn't find it. I'm pretty sure it's picked. And it's not fun for the listeners to hear about something that we already spoke about. <sighs> it's all for the listeners, Craig. What's my backup? I had a backup pick. 
One eternity later. So, my pick, um, considering that the last one was disqualified, um, will be Plex. Is that allowed? Just sure. Oh, man. Excitement. Uh, so, Plex, uh, obviously... Uh, what, what do you mean by obviously? I mean, Plex, it's, it's not like a hidden gem. It's not like, ooh, where did you find that app? Plex is because Plex is like this, this combination of a whole bunch of client apps and a server application to to watch a lot of your uh, media that you have happen to have on a computer. And it's been around for, I don't know, uh, probably 100 years. Probably uh, at least. Probably. Yeah. That's that's my best guess. Um, it's been around for a really it long time. Preceded the computer. Pardon? It preceded the computer and it, Alan Turing. Sure. Way yeah. way before that. Cool. And Th- I thought so. I was just it in fact clarifying. inspired a lot of Alan Turing's work. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, make, makes sense. Especially his early work. I mean, then no, nice. then they split up. Can and you please explain did, to people did what individual uh, <laughs> careers? But people are getting so confused now. <laughs> so Plex, they've uh, switched off at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, people that are still with us at this point, they expect nothing more than this. So. Uh, that is good. Um, so Plex, you have like a server application that you run on on a uh, machine that has a lot of media on it and then indexes that and kind of gives you a nice way to access your library of, of media content. And that might either be uh, TV shows and movies that have fallen off a truck or have been ripped from, from physical media or things that you just collected in other ways uh, or music. Um, and then they have a whole bunch of, of client apps uh, to access that media, like on the Apple TV and, and on the Mac and the website and those kind of things. And it's a really w- nice way of kind of organizing your, your media library and playing it back on all devices. So we're, we're using that a lot. And it's very nice, despite sometimes being flaky. But overall, it's, it's the best I've found for that kind of task. Flex seems like one of those really cool apps that i would absolutely love if i had a massive media or if i just had a media collection in general like it seems like an app that i would love to use but i just don't have a use for it which is really unfortunate because it's one of those cool ones that i'd like mm. to but anyway yeah all right yeah, yeah. i wanted to ask you something zach yes um considering that you like it feels like, like you have to sort of care about what you're eating and mm-hmm. like track what you're eating mm-hmm that part's questionable, but I, <laughs> yeah, I assume that you somehow bit more considerate about what you're eating. You always seem yes. to at least know what impact what ha- food have on your blood sugar level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have any type of any recommendation for like a food tracking app, like ah, what you're eating? So, because yeah, I don't record food stuff like that, but I have in the past. Okay, and. Back then, MyFitnessPal was sort of hands down the greatest app for that. Okay, okay. And I believe that the I believe that it, that's sort of still the consensus uh, in terms of it being the greatest app for that. I think the data provide the data it has, like its index of foods and their content, is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. And this was like when I did this, it was probably like two thousand and. 2011, like early days of iOS. It was one of the only good apps. Um, But I read, so my gym does a magazine every second month and I read the most recent issue. I swear I'm getting somewhere with this. I read the most recent issue last week (laughs) and one of the articles was actually on an app for tracking food intake. Mm, And MyFitnessPal again came up as the recommended solution or yeah, like 
software to use uh, in order to track the the like intake of food. Okay. So yeah. yeah, that's have you tried it? I haven't. I heard of people who are using it. I just felt like I always struggle. Like I think it would be nice to track food. Not that I like. I, I'm not really watching my weight in any way to that extent. But I'm still curious about what like how much sugar I'm eating. Um, and like, I'm also, yeah, it's good to know, like, even if you're not going to act on it, it's yeah. good to, yeah, yeah. And lately I've been trying to eat like healthier options, like less heavy things, like less, less carbs. And in general, mm-hmm. I try to always be quite low carb, but I feel like mm-hmm. I would like to be able to like see that a bit more. And I like tracking things. And I think it's so nice that you have like the Apple Watch and you can really see all of, uh, like all of your activity. You can really see your, um, um, your exercise pattern and i found that to be just like really motivating to see like oh wow i exercised this much this year that's amazing so i would like to see like how many healthy things they eat but the problem with that is it's it's kind of hard right yeah so a lot of things are that my fitness pal does is it can scan the box of i know things, but and we don't really eat a lot of things that come out of boxes yeah that's what i was gonna say i found tracking food consumption is really hard and i feel like i'm gonna fall out of it really quickly i would love to have some type of sensor similar to the apple watch that just senses how much i have eaten of certain things sure that's an easy problem to solve let's just make an app for that um it's just not really possible um and i want something that is still relatively easy and is not only using like barcodes and like produced food um do you find that this one was like, does it have like finished meals and how, like how flexible it, are those meals? Can I be like, okay, I had a salad, but I had this type of dressing rather than that type of dressing, or I didn't have chicken or I had extra avocado. Like, is it customizable in that way? I think it is. So it, it honestly has been a while since I've used it, but just uh, from both reading about it and speaking to people who use it, I think it does have a pretty good collection of uh, standard meals that people might eat. Like, I don't know, let's say, mm-hmm. for example, you get a chicken curry. Like, it would have a default for that option and you could maybe select the size or the the portion uh, okay. in some way. So, it's got like a good default. And then I think for standard supermarket, item- supermarket items, it's got a lot of those as well. Um, I, like, I, I don't want to say things exactly because, again, it's been years since I've mm. used it, but I did find it one of the best apps for looking up. Like, you, I never had to manually put in – well, I mean, maybe I did, but, like, I don't remember it being a thing to have to manually guess a lot of the information. It okay. was often I would be able to search for something or find something that's close enough, and especially yeah. in your case where it doesn't sound like you're trying to follow a strict diet, so it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be 100%. I feel like you'd probably have pretty good luck finding – meals that are similar or yeah. close enough to what you're eating yeah. that you can put them in and trust the information. I don't know because Marlin is always going for gluten-free options. So it always is Yeah, like, I'm going for gluten-free options and lately I've been trying mm-hmm. to go vegetarian as well. So it's yep. hard, right? Even if you go for something that would normally kind of align with it because Marlin never has whatever the gluten part is, it would always be wrong Yeah, <laughs> by whatever the the so Usually that's why I was hoping, mm-hmm. like, that's why yeah. I would love to have an app that has, like, a good variety of the default, like, the standard food and, like, de- default foods, but then yeah. have, like, customizable parts so you can take away an ingredient or add an ingredient. I think this is a bit of a lost cause. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I, I think give my fitness pal a go. Just yeah, give it a go. Um, like, uh, just try to find a burrito good. we'll eat in, in about 20 minutes. 
like it's it's a v- vegetarian alternative surf shop burrito. Well, I guess I just eat regular burritos then. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm sure if you put in vegetarian burrito, you'd be able to pick from a few options, you know, and pick the one that's closest. If it's yeah, got a lot of yeah. avocado on it, pick the avocado, like just pick the protein or whatever it is that you've got in the burrito. And and especially like if you're not following it, like if, if you're not doing yeah, it to yeah. lose weight or to gain weight or to whatever it is dieting, uh, if it's just a more general interest thing, then I think you'll be perfectly okay with hmm. um, like rough approximations, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just wonder because it feels like it's it's definitely one of the highest effort tracking things for your yeah, everyday life yeah. but yeah, also yeah. one where where accuracy will be very off so it feels yeah, like that's what i would love if you can have some type of sensor for it that'd be really cool a- accuracy will always be off i mean mm. you know if you eat a handful of peanuts do you re- you know what's one person's handful to another like it's but it's yeah. a food thing, right I, I just feel like there's difficult. so much of a gap between accuracy and effort that it's unlikely to stick yeah but fair yeah. enough it turns out, uh, also, I didn't know that fitness. My fitness pal was acquired by Under Armour for four hundred seventy-five oh, wow. million dollars. Uh, that's huh. solid. It's a good product, then. But yeah, yeah, I will check that out. Yeah, I'll cool. check out my fitness pal. But we'll see. We'll see if I stick with it. Most Would be enough. interested to hear how you go if you can, uh, if you can stick with it, because I think it's probably the best. And yeah. it sounds like they now have money behind them, so. Oh, that was already four years ago, so they should. Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's always been great, but like, yeah, seems to be the go-to. Yeah. By the way, the earliest email I can find from Plex is from 2009. You're old. (laughs) That's not that long ago. (laughs) Ten years. How many apps have you used for, like, what, what is the oldest app you're still using to this day? I uh, could tell you that by doing the good old, uh, you know, you can see your purchases mm-hmm, and then, and do, then finding out. And swipe for about four years. No, no. See, I don't have as many apps as you do. Okay. I've done this before and gone back to the beginning. Uh, let me see. So, the first app was a game. Let's go. They're all games. Gee, I was a child back then. Racing Live, 13th of June, 2009. So I don't want to hear the oldest first. app. I want to hear oldest no, you're still okay, using. I just... Oh, here we go. This is an easy one. Uh, league Live is the app I use for rugby league scores. Still and using it's it today. Still it's around. on my home screen. It's still around. It's been updated every season, multiple times a season. I downloaded it on the 15th of June, 2009, which was two days after I got my first iPod Touch. I'm assuming it was two days after I got my first iPod Touch because it was the um, that was two days after I downloaded my first app. Um, so, yeah, two days after that. And it received an update one month ago with bug fixes and maintenance updates. And in my opinion, it is still the best app for real-time live data and stats and scores and things like that for the Rugby League. Hmm. So, right, cool. not, a, not a challenging one to, to get to the bottom of. Yep. How about you? Uh, I just had a look. Oh, actually, just on that note, uh, sorry. One of its sister apps, Footy Live for the AFL, just sent me a push notification. So, these apps are alive and well. Okay, cool. Anyway, sorry, um, continue. <laughs> so, based on the first receipt I can find from 2008, which that's when the iPhone came out, right? 2007 was the iPhone. Was I wonder, I might have not, oh, but then the App Store came out the year after, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, 2008. Yeah. So, obviously, I mean, 
deep built-in apps are kind of excluded because of course we're of course. still using them but from when the app store was around um from the first receipt i can find it's one password and shazam are the two on there that i'm still using today wow nice mm. one password gee it's been around for a while my second is speed test but my third after having just downloaded my fitness pal a few minutes ago is my fitness pal oh really so, <laughs> yeah but i don't still use that regularly so i don't think it counts but it's on my phone mm. um with the little open button because I just downloaded it. And then I have to scroll a while to find the fourth. So, uh, ComBank, there we go. You used to get receipts for app updates. <laughs> yeah, true, eh? Mm. Yeah, I forgot about for- that. Yeah, me too. Gee. <laughs> Look at this. I found a really old Apple uh, marketing message when the iPod Nano came out. <laughs> nice. All right, cool. All right, that was quite a tangent, but have a good week. Chat to you next week. Likewise. Yeah. Talk to you later.